I, I want you to see for just a moment of time that our experience comes to us because of our belief in Christ. Our belief in who Jesus was and what his mandate was and what he did. And we have followed his exhortation. We believe we have followed his exhortation. Remember what's called the Great Commission? You say, Pastor, you had not read from the scriptures yet. I know, but I'm, I'm in the spirit here and I'm speaking the, the scriptures. Matthew chapter number 28, the Great Commission. And he said, go ye therefore in all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things wherein I have commanded you. And so, no, I wasn't with Jesus uh, when he walked along the, you know, Galilean seaside. I wasn't there. I wasn't with him when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. No, I wasn't. I, I can't say I have visibly seen him face to face, touched him tangibly. He's never spoken to me like he did to Thomas and say, reach hither thy hand, Lee Brown, and feel my hand or thrust your hand into my side. I ha he hasn't spoken that to me. But you know what I've done? I have followed the teachings that he gave to the apostles. And I have followed their experiences. And I have, I have ad adapted my life and lifestyle to the doctrine that they, number one, that they taught. Number two, that they emulated. So let's go for briefly today to Acts chapter number one. Because I want to make this quick connection today before we just go just a little bit farther in it, if I can. It's in Acts chapter number one. This is following Jesus' resurrection. This is just prior to his uh, ascension into heaven upon uh, the Mount of Olives. And this is, to a degree, almost his final exhortation. This is his final encouraging words to his disciples. Now, remember, Jesus has taught them many things over the course of three and a half years. And of those many things that he shared with them, he even said, you can't receive some of this right now. And he hinged their response based upon the fact that they had not received the power of the Holy Spirit as of yet. If you remember by reading in the Gospel of John, excuse me, he said, the things that I say unto you right now, he said, you're not yet understanding. He said, but when the Comforter has come, whom my Father will send in my name, then he will teach you all things. For the things that he hears spoken, that's what he's going to share. So even though Jesus taught them a lot of things over a three-and-a-half-year period of time in those close-knit moments of just being with Jesus in, in those, those discipleship-making moments, their heart was, was limited in understanding until the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit came uh, originally on the day of Pentecost, and, and, and their understanding began to be quickened and enlightened. And then the things that he had sown in them could begin to bud. They could begin to come forth and become a part of their life. You know, there was a perplexity uh, in their lives even until uh, the day of his ascension as it related to the restoration of Israel. They were conflicted emotionally and spiritually. There were some that believed that Jesus' messianic purpose should have been to take the throne of David, the vacated throne of David, to rid the nation of Roman occupation and to establish the autonomy of the nation of Israel once again. Many found uh, disappointment when Jesus, rather than lead an army into Jerusalem, he came upon the foal of an ass, as the King James English says. And he was meek and lowly. And he entered into Jerusalem, not with swords and shields, but with tears on his face. 
crying out in sorrow because they didn't recognize the day of their visitation. And so that, that conflict was still present in the hearts of his disciples even on the night of his betrayal. There were some that were ready to draw the sword and to go into battle. Peter said, at the Passover meal, you know, oftentimes we think about uh, Judas of Iscariot's betrayal at the Passover meal, dipping his hand in the sop with Jesus, but also Peter had two swords. He was ready to rally these other fishermen and these tax collectors, even though they, they were not trained warriors, and he was ready to rally them to go ahead and join in the messianic movement to start the riddance of uh, Roman occupation. And Jesus said, put up thy sword. You know, two, you got two swords, that's enough, hold on. And even when Peter took it upon himself on the, uh, at the night and uh, the time of Jesus' arrest, when Peter took upon himself to, to slip his hand into his cloak and to draw one of those swords, and he reached over and he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Malchus, John records it in his gospel, and he severed his ear from his head uh, that, that Jesus stepped in and he said, put away your sword. Stop this. This is not what I'm about. He didn't come to destroy men's lives. He come to save them. And he reached over, and I don't know if he touched his ear or spoke life over, but, but he healed him. So that meant that a severed ear, perhaps dangling and hanging just by a thread of tissue or flesh, suddenly just leaped together. Come on, somebody. The power of Christ restoring right there. So that conflict continued, and that conflict continued even after his resurrection all the way up until this point here in this passage of Scripture that we're going to read today, that Jesus' disciples were still anticipating the messianic work of Christ would include the restoration of the house of Israel, even if it included violence, even if it included the, the, the raising up of an army to drive out the Romans. And so they asked Jesus here, verse 4 of the first chapter, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them, not to depart, uh, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, which he said, you have heard from me. So he said, remember what I talked to you about. Even it was, most of that conversation, the promise of the Father occurred during that final week of Jesus's life. And when Jesus was visiting with them, preparing them for his sudden, uh, you know, uh, death on the cross and then the, the hope of resurrection. He said, now John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here's the initial promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not made by the pen of the uh, Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy or the Apostle Peter as he would write later or James or Jude. But the initial promise of the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is made by Jesus himself. An experience that all the men that were listening to him at that particular moment and were responsive to him at that particular moment, they would later would receive. And then they would later pass it because exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so here he said, you will receive power. And still, when they hear the word power, that word in Greek, again, as I've told you last week, maybe on Sunday night, is dunamis, and it means miracle power, explosive power, dynamite power. It's where we, get the, we extract the English word dynamite from. So when they hear this, that conflict awakens with them. them because when they think of dynamite power, they don't just think of healing the sick. 
They don't just think of casting out devils. They think about Samson. Hello? Right? They think about David. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter number 16 that the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. And we know that, so David here would soon face a lion and a bear and deliver a sheep that was caught in their mouth. And just a few days later would be in the valley of Ella and face a nine foot, nine inch giant that was covered in mail, steel mail and with a helmet and swords and shields and, and even a, a man running in front of him to carry his, his shield. David would be armed only with a sling and a faith in God, a vibrant faith in God to have the courage to, to challenge him in warfare. And, and to look, him, look at him and say, you know what? God's going to give your carcass to the fowl of the air today until all the host that's gathered on this hillside in Israel and to the Philistines as David was in the valley and the armies were encamped on either side till they all know that there is a God in Israel who saves not with sword or shield or spear. Come on. But his power is in his authority and in his name. So when they hear the word dunamis, they still have visions of military might and power and dominion and authority and the restoration of Israel. But Jesus quickly clarifies this because they said in the sixth verse, when you had come, they said, they said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so Jesus responded and said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power or his own authority. But you, this is you. Now he's speaking directly to them as an individual. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're going to be a witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so here's Jesus saying to this group of men that had this conflict within themselves on the restoration of the kingdom of Israel that now maybe things are going to begin to make sense when they begin to realize that the conflict and the warfare and the advance of the kingdom is not going to happen by sword or shield, but it's going to happen by men and women endued by the power of the Holy Spirit who are going to face their warfare and their adversary. Their adversaries are not going to be the Romans and they're not going to be other nationalities, but their adversaries are going to be demons and devils and principalities and powers upon which no sword, no shield, no any, any type of work of, uh, of warfare of any generation can combat that type of enemy. But when you got the anointing of God upon your life, come on, when you got the power of God upon your life, not only can you have victory over a devil, but you can first identify the devil because men's eyes are blinded and they can't see who their true enemy is. But when you get the Spirit of God upon you, then you can do things that other people cannot do. And in doing those things, what you're having, what's being, uh, the end result is the kingdom is expanding. You're taking the gospel. See, men are held more than in governmental bondage. I know today that around the world, not everybody has the freedoms that we have in the United States of America. And I'm so grateful today for the freedoms that we have. But we know that there are believers that are, that are held in bondage in North Korea. There are still believers that are having to worship in underground churches in Vietnam or in China today and certainly in Muslim countries. But let me tell you, uh, governments are not the only thing that holds people in bondage. Sin holds people in bondage. Demons and devils hold people in bondage. Other religions hold people in bondage. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But when the power of the Holy Spirit is upon an individual, then you can take the power of the gospel. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can take the power of the gospel into the darkness. And in John chapter 1, it says the light will shine into the darkness and the darkness will not overtake it. You say, Pastor, you don't know all the hell that's going on in my life. You don't know all the darkness that's all around me. You know what you need? You need the power of the Spirit of God in your life because when you get the power of the light of God on the inside of you, there will be a brilliance and a brightness of His grace that begins to be reflected through you that there's not a devil, there's not a situation, there's not a drug addiction, there's not a broken family, there's not anything of the curse of your family, your family and your family's family that can keep you from being the person that God has called you to be. But when the power of God comes upon you, man, I'm grateful today that God still fills the hearts and minds and the lives of individuals with the power of his Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit, distinct from your salvation experience, comes to those that long for him. Can I say that again? He comes for those that long for him. 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 both say desire spiritual gifts. You have to desire these things. You have to long for these things. You have to set your heart and your affection. And if you have not yet received, you don't belittle yourself. You condemn yourself. You just continue to believe. You can, the Bible says knock and it shall be opened unto you ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find prepare your heart and your mind to receive from God and I believe you will receive now I've made this statement before and let me go ahead and bring some clarification and repeating it again today I know oftentimes there is an oddity that is associated with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and sometimes we have known people that were of odd character to have exercised spiritual gifts Sometimes if you're on the, on the outside looking in, you have seen their character or you have seen their experience and it has seemed so odd to you that it has not caused you to desire their experience. And the statement that I've made to you previously, I'm going to echo it again today. If the individual that you have, saw, that you have witnessed was odd, that exhibited the power of the Holy Spirit, let me say this today very carefully. They were odd before they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They are not odd as a result of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, okay? The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. The spirit of the prophet is bound to your ability to yield yourself to God, and you do not lose your ability to control the gift of God that's on the inside of you. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray in the spirit, and I will pray in my understanding. So he said, my will is involved. Later in the chapter, he said this, exactly as I just mentioned, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. The experience that I'm talking about is not going to leave you utterly confused. It's going to actually bring clarification. Once you get the breakthrough, and I know that that sometimes is the challenge. And I know that it, it pressing through the darkness, so to speak, to where the, where the light of God's glory is reflected inside you. But once that comes, then clarification comes. An understanding is then given. And then your eyes are opened and you see things entirely different than you previously saw them. 
Did you know when I have searched the scriptures to validate the experience, I've gone to the word of God and I'm going to just kind of echo them. And I love, Pat, see, the work of the Holy Spirit, I'll be mindful of the time today because it's 1147. I won't take much longer to preach. I didn't necessarily, I have, I have two sermons up here on the desk, but I, I, I didn't necessarily want to re- replicate those. And I didn't want to go ahead and say I have to finish where I was at last week. That's not the issue to try to finish a sermon. I'm not here to pre- preach a sermon to you. I'm here to share the word of God. God to the degree that it builds faith in your heart and life till you as an individual have a desire to receive something that can radically change your Christian experience. And if you're already born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, my also exhortation to you is Ephesians 5 and 18, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. My exhortation is found in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. Agitate it today. Pastor, I hadn't prayed in the Spirit in a long time. Well, then you need to start today. Come on, somebody. You need to begin to find a quiet place, a place of prayer, communion, and fellowship with God. And if you have the ability to speak with God, to God in a heavenly language, then you need to do so because out of your belly will flow a river of living water. It'll take your stagnant, dull experience into a vibrant experience of communion and fellowship with God. I said to you last week, I echo those words again today, I do not believe in down days for the child of God because the joy of the Lord is your strength and joy flows from the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is flowing in your life, then as the scripture says, you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. It doesn't mean you're not unhappy. It doesn't mean you don't have emotional ups and downs occasionally in life. What it means is you're not trapped in that vein of discontentment and distraction and depression and are you hearing what I'm saying but rather you are focused in the sense that God is working in you and God is a God that gives us love and joy and grace and goodness and kindness and not only does it flow in us and flow through us it flows out of us and it affects those that are around us come on and I'm telling you the 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 vibrant response is a group of men and women that are zealous for God not judgmental Hello? You know, I shared in class today with the eight or nine or ten students that, that are joining the church. I made this statement that said that everybody has had at least one negative experience with Pentecostalism. And everybody has had a, probably an experience where someone was, that was Pentecostal was critical because there was a day when there was a lot of criticism and judgmentalism. Hello? In Pentecostalism. But I'm thankful today that God's been bringing us out of it for many years. And we've learned to trust God, to let God work in people. I can't work in your life. I can't go inside you and affect your emotions and affect the the things that you're dealing with. But I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit does. Right? And that conviction cannot be put upon you by me condemning you from the pulpit, but rather exposing you to the work of the Holy Spirit who then dwells and abides on the inside of you and you learn to hear his voice. Right? And you learn to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, God does a far better job than any of us have ever done previously of bringing anyone under conviction and then bringing them to a point where they're brought into an awareness of the change that he wants to work. And then God doesn't just tell you to change. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he 
He empowers you to change. That's the wonder dynamic work of the Holy Spirit. Under the sound of my voice are men and women that used to be addicts. Come on, bound to addictions, putting stuff in their veins or in their nostrils or smoking it or drinking themselves into a hole, a hell hole. And they were violent and they cursed and they were uh, pornographers and they were adulterers and they were fornicators. But then they were confronted by the love of God through Christ. They understood the virtue of the blood of Jesus. And then, glory to God, they opened their heart to the work of the Holy Spirit and then greater is he that is in them that he that is in the world and then the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them and then now they're a witness to the glory of God now they can look you in the eye and tell you you don't have to be evil you don't have to be hateful you don't have to be bitter you don't have to be bound you don't have to be an addict you don't have to be a homosexual you don't have to be an adulterer you don't have to be a fornicator because if he did it in me he'll do it in you glory to God Hallelujah today. Because that's why he said, you shall be your witnesses. And to be a witness is to be a testimony. A witness does not mean that you become a preacher. Doesn't mean you're an apostle or evangelist. Doesn't mean God will ever give you a stage or a microphone. But it means he'll send you right back into your everyday life with a changed life and a changed countenance. And every person that used to walk around you and walk wide around you because you were hateful and you were bitter and you were scathing. And now they see the demeanor has changed and there's love and there's grace and there's harmony and there's kindness. That's a witness. Come on, that's a witness. You know, when Noah built the ark, I don't know if he ever started a church. I don't know if he ever stood upon a a, a platform and preached. But every day that they hammered, every day that that ark began to be formed out there on the plain was a witness to the people. Your life is a witness. The power of the Holy Spirit in you is a witness to the divine grace of God. Man, can't Jesus change a life? The reason why I just, I feel uh, at this thought for a few moments real quickly is I want you to see today, I want you to see this uh, and understand this, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is tied directly to the ministry of Jesus. It's tied directly to the ministry of Jesus, to the person of Jesus. The two things, the two points that I'm going to, that I want you to see today about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to take you into the virtue of the merit that we see in 1 Corinthians 14. But number one, I just want you to see, first of all, through connecting it to Jesus himself. I'm so thankful for Jesus. Nothing more warms my heart to the gospel when I read the scriptures than when I think about Jesus. When I think about how that God so loved me that he shrouded himself in flesh and blood. And he walked among us and... He even said this to Philip. Philip, one of his disciples, said, Jesus, show us the Father and it will suffice us. He said, Philip, have I been so long with you and yet thou hast not known me? Because he that has seen me has seen the Father. See, the brightness of the glory of God was seen in the person of Jesus. 
The children of Israel wanted to know God and they wanted to see God. And Moses went up on the mountain in their stead and he saw the glory of God, the backside of God that passed by in front of him when he was in the cleft of the rock. You remember that? No man had seen God face to face, eye to eye. No man had seen the glory of God. The closest any man had ever seen was when Moses saw the backside of the glory of God when he passed in front of him when he was hid in the cleft of the rock. But on that day that God became carnate, when he became in this flesh, come on, when he shrouded himself, on that day is when man could then look into the eyes of God because to see Jesus is to see the Father. Hello, somebody. And so I'm just so grateful. Hebrews 1 says he was the brightness of his glory. He was the express image of his person. The Bible says in days gone by, God spoken to us by the prophets, but he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Thank God today. You say, Pastor, I'd like to see God. Well, then see Jesus. If you see Jesus, you're seeing God. Come on, somebody. But I want you to see in the same thing, in the same token, that while here in the flesh, did you know Jesus did so many miracles that John, the beloved, and I know I've got a hurry to close, but I just, can I, I just want to talk about Jesus for a moment. John said that if we were trying to write down everything that he did and said, he said the world would not be able to contain the books that would be written therein. Did you know the gospel writers recorded 39 recorded miracles of Jesus? But that's the miracles that were specific. There were so many hundreds of just general, unnamed, unknown faces and names for people out of the crowd. The woman that had the issue of blood was not the only one that got healed by touching his garment. Every time he walked through the masses, of suffering and hurting humanity if anybody had faith and if anybody believed him to be a healer caught hold of his garment then the power of life inside of him flowed into them and their body was healed the author John said man if we tried to write it down the world would begin to tip on its axis you're talking about changing uh, you know climate change when the world began to tip on its axis because the authors are trying to write down everything that he did here for three and a half years he walked on water he opened blind eyes he cast out devils come on somebody he cast out you need to cast out devils man i'm gonna get on that if you will with me you need to cast out devils you need to be confident that you have victory over the devil in jesus name and pull those strongholds down so he healed the sick he even raised the dead he called dead people out of the grave to the glory of God. But let me say this. He didn't heal a single person. He didn't cast out a single devil, and he didn't turn any water into wine, or uh, he didn't multiply fishes and loaves until the Spirit of God came upon him. Amen. Not a single recorded miracle took place until he was in the water of Jordan being baptized by John and John said when I brought him up out of the water when I brought him up out of the water the heavens were opened come on somebody the heavens were open and the spirit of God in bodily form fell out of heaven and landed upon Jesus glory to God and when it landed upon Jesus immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted of the devil why he went in there to show you and I that when the spirit of God's upon you you can endure every temptation and not sin you can endure everything the devil casts against you, brings your way, and you can overcome because he is greater inside of you than he that is in the world. 
and he came out. He went into the wilderness led by the Spirit. He came out of the wilderness full of the Spirit, and he went right to Capernaum and began to cast out devils. So all the miracles that Jesus did, and here's what the beloved Luke writes in Acts chapter number 10. It says, how that God anointed, this is Acts 10 and 38, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, King James English, with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. How that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. You say, Pastor, he was the son of God. Yes, he was the son of God, but he was the son of man. And so as the son of man, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. And he didn't do any miracle until he received the power of God. That's enough to make me want to desire the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because Jesus did. Number two, to end my sermon today. You know the thing that's most dynamic and that's so, that's so awesome about the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our generation? It's a quotation that Peter quoted on the, on the day of Pentecost when the men were confused about what was taking place. It's in the, we read from Acts chapter 1. I'm going to just try to paraphrase it for you. He said, this is that. This is when he stood up and began to speak. People have been speaking in other tongues. They heard them declare the wonderful works of God and all these things. And, and he said, but, but he said this. He said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So he quotes an Old Testament prophet. He said, that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now listen, all flesh doesn't mean everybody. Now, I know we think that, and God's going to say, no, it doesn't mean it. It means all walks of people, all different kinds of people. And, and, and he said, because he's going to pour it out upon handmaidens, the old, the young, the rich, the poor. Come on, somebody. See, that was totally contrary to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when you trace the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll find it almost exclusively bound to a prophet, a priest, or a king. And if you weren't one of those three in the nation of Israel, then you didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. But when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross and was buried and raised again and then walked with his disciples for 40 days and when he got ready to ascend into the presence of God, he said, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. And it's not going to fall just on the prophet, the priest, or the king, but upon all whose hearts are ready to receive of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's exciting about the generation that you and I live in today. Because you know what? I am a pastor and sometimes I can be prophetical, but that doesn't make me a prophet. I'm the king of my own castle, but that doesn't make me a king. Come on, somebody. But you know what? I still got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you can too. You can too. It doesn't matter whether you're 90 years old or 9 years old. Come on. There are some under the sound of my voice. Sister Lorraine's over 90. She's got the baptism. Jojo's son is 9. He's got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So you can receive if you'll set your heart to receive. And so today as I close this sermon, here's what I want to close with. As I just do need some, a musician to come back, just set the context. And I just want to pray with people today. I just, I've, I've been believing God. I've been believing God all week. Father, give me the gift of faith that whosoever I pray with, they will receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm tired in my flesh. I've been preaching to you this morning with a headache deep in the back of my shoulder going all the way down. But you know what? That doesn't have anything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit because it's not limited to my flesh. He's not bound to my strength in, the, in, this, in this world. It's the power of the Spirit. I have this treasure in an earthen vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of me. Come on, somebody. I'm here to 
pray for every person that's willing. We'll pray. We'll, we'll stay with you. We just want you to know that we so believe in this doctrine. We so believe in it that we have altered our services and we are determined not to put it in a back room somewhere. And I think my conviction to bring this to you was twofold. Number one, I want you to receive what I've received. So I love you enough. I want to share it. But number two, I also want you to know as a church family, as a church family, we cannot be the church. We cannot be the church that says, I believe in it, but I don't practice it. We have to be the church that says not only do we practice it, but we pass it. You say, how do you pass it? How do you pass it? Well, you know what? When you read those five recorded instances in the book of Acts, in almost every passage other than the day of Pentecost and at Cornelius' house, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came as a result of two things, Dylan. Intentional prayer and the laying on of hands. You know, I was thinking about this in Acts chapter number 10. Peter was at Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Gentile. While he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. And some have said, well, that was just to show that the gospel went to the Gentiles. It wasn't anything about the work of the Holy Spirit. And why didn't Peter lay hands on them? Peter didn't lay hands on them because they were Gentiles. He had already breached his own, uh, you know, narrative of faith by going to their house. And so, so he wasn't going to lay hands on them. He had to grow in that as well. But every other passage from Acts chapter 19 to Acts chapter number 8, even to the Apostle Paul, God sent Ananias, a man, to lay hands on him, to pray for him. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, the gift that's in you, he said, came because I laid my hands on you. So I believe that's the biblical pattern. So by saying that in a moment of time, we're going to ask you to come forward. We're just going to pray with you. We're going to pray with you, and we're going to trust that based upon our intentional prayer, that if we lay hands on you and your heart is hungry and you desire these things and you have faith to receive, then you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I want to do something as you stand up today. I'm going to start off with a different group. Before, I even, before we even minister to those, and I know it's noon, and I know other churches are, are, are getting out right now, and you're just now headed to the altar. Let me tell you what the advantage of that is. That means the restaurant will already be cleared out by the time you get there. The Baptists will all be gone, won't they? But you know what? It's not just people that have not received the baptism. But I feel led today, there are a lot of people under the sound of my voice that need to stir up that gift. But you've received it. You've received it. You hadn't been praying in the Spirit on a consistent basis. And we want to lay hands on you today as well. I'd like to start with you. Because your movement can help that person who's never received have the courage to come forward. So I want to ask you, if you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you know you've just been down a little bit in your faith, and you just hadn't been stirring up the gift of God, then just come to the front right now. 
and just stand up right here and then just begin to pray and we're going to come as ministers and leaders we're going to lay our hands on you and we're going to pray we're going to just stir up gifts with you in the name of Jesus we're just going to stir these things